I want to start this morning talking a little bit about um, one of our mission trips in, in particular that we took some teenagers out on, our, our seniors, um, to Uganda, Africa. So we start to drive off, and all I see, or all we see, are these wide eyes looking back at us. Adam Soto knows he was there. Wide eyes looking back at us. Eyes of horror. Eyes saying, what are you doing? Why are you doing this to me? See, we were leaving them out in a Ugandan village for the next 24 hours with families that didn't speak English and our kids who didn't speak Runyon Court. At least not much. They could, they could greet and say a few words, but they, didn't, they couldn't speak a native language. And so we were leaving them out there um, to see what God would do. And that look on their face was awesome. In fact, it was more satisfying as a youth minister, when you get that look on one of your teenagers' face, it's more satisfying than when you knock them out of a game of dodgeball. It's amazing. Because what you understand is God has them in a place that he can move their spirit. He can work on their hearts because now they're open. They're broken. They don't know what's going on. They have to solely depend on him. And we put them in great families. We put them in you know, families that were part of the church. They were in a good environment. We weren't worried about them at all. But we wanted to make sure that they got to not just go and see the culture, but they had to go and experience and feel what the Lord was doing in that mission field. So in particular, with our first group that we sent out to Uganda, we put a group out in Chitangare, uh, in a village out uh, in Embarra, Uganda, with one of our church leaders, Truman. So we, we, we drive him out, we drop him off, and he takes these kids and he, and he farms them out two by two to these homes. Now, little did we know the impact that was about to happen on our students. But as they get to know their family a little bit, and, and the funny thing is, is when you go out and you don't speak the language with your, bro- with your fellow brothers and sisters, you go and you sit there and you run through all your greetings, right? They ran through theirs in English. Our teens ran through theirs in Runyon Quarry. And then after about a minute and a half, they just kind of stood there and went. And you just kind of look at each other and smile and you're just excited to be with one another, but you can't communicate. I don't know why it is, but when I, when I had the experience to do that, I thought for some reason the louder I talked, the more they would understand me. And so I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, do you want me to go work, chop? No? Okay. I don't know why, but that's kind of what we do every once in a while. Well, Truman goes out and he gathers these kids up and he says, all right, we're going to go visit the, the, the town. We're going to go visit all the members in Chitangre. So that way, when you come for worship on Sunday, you'll be able to know a lot of our members. Oh, great. We're going to go. We're going to visit with them. We're going to pray over them. And so they were excited, and they start going around from, from hut to hut. And they get to one in particular, and it's this lady that's holding a little baby. And Truman warned them before they got there. He said, no, this baby's been sick. But okay. So they go in, and the lady starts explaining how her baby's not doing well. But she was so excited to see these American teenagers because she knew 
God would hear the prayers of an American Christian. So our kids get ready, and they start, they start just working up these great prayers. And they start praying for healing and praying for this family and for the church, and they just start pouring on prayers over this little baby in faith. And they leave, and they just know God's going to hear their prayers. And a couple days later, after we came and picked them up, well, we picked them up the next day, but a couple days later, we hear the baby died. And so these, these teenagers that were so excited because of what the potential of healing now turned into, what is God doing? Why did this baby die? Does God not hear our prayers? All these kind of questions. And so they're getting to wrestle with who God is on the mission field. And the great thing is, as a youth minister, you can't structure this stuff. This is the spirit moving. And so we go back out for church Sunday there. And as we drive and we park, the, the kids get out and, and they start walking to the church and they are met with the sounds of the African drums and singing. And as they get in there, they see what looks like a celebration. They're singing, there's dancing, there's drums. They're worshiping God. And who's leading it? But the mom who lost her baby is beating the drum, leading the worship. And in between one of the songs, she says, I lost my baby this week. She said, but God is faithful. God is good. And I will worship and praise my God. And I love that because here our teens are learning a lesson that even in the midst of trials, we praise and we worship God. And what a great message to those in the village that didn't believe. That even in the midst, when things don't go your way, that God is still God and he's to be worshipped. He is to be glorified. What a great witness. What a light to that village. And so our teens came back and were able to be lights to their friends back home because of this example. And I love that because, you see, Jesus calls us to go. He calls us to go and be witnesses to our neighbors, to our co-workers, and to those all over the world. In fact, our scripture this morning, Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. He said, you're going to start first. You're going to start right where you are. Then you're going to go out to your surrounding cities. And then I'm going to send you to people even that you don't like. And then I'm going to send you to people all over the world because the gospel message is too great not to be heard. In fact, do you remember a commercial a couple years ago by Mercedes-Benz? And they're showing the Mercedes car driving around, and they're showing some of its safety features. And, and they started bragging about and demonstrating the unique safety features of their, of their vehicle. And then they start talking about instead of putting a patent on these safety features. They decided to share all these features with the entire auto industry. They say, why, you might ask. And then they pause. That way you get to think, why would they do that? Because you got to think, if you're the safest car on the street, wouldn't you sell more vehicles? Wouldn't you make more money? Isn't that the American dream? He says, at the end of the commercial, it says, some things in life are too important not to share. Well, I hope you, you kind of went there, as we heard. I hope you went there, too. Some things in life are too important not to share. As a Christian, the gospel message is too important for us not to share. 
But sometimes the behavior of Christians would suggest otherwise. I know when it comes to mission work, we're always going to need more money. We're always going to need more people. We're always going to need more programming and more training. But the real need of the hour is the heart, the passion for the mission field. Do we care? I believe some churches say they do, but maybe don't actually care enough to be uncomfortable. I believe this church is different, and praise God for that. I believe we care about the lost. I believe you have a passion for those not in Christ all over the world. In fact, Preston Crest is a church that is known as a missional congregation. We send people into all the world. In fact, we have almost 40 missionaries that we support around the world. You have hearts for the lost all over the world, and it's recognized by your contribution to missions, how much our budget goes to the global mission work. You help sponsor teenagers and others that want to go on short-term mission trips, and I pray that you continue to financially open doors for our young people to go out to the mission field. Because what you're doing is you're saying the Great Commission starts now. Even when you're young, we want to send you out because you can learn that God can use you to go into all the world. And hopefully that is a message for us all. But we are a church that I believe invests in the Great Commission. That we're burdened and our hearts are weighed down with evangelism. As Jesus talked about in Acts 1.8. I don't believe every church has a burden for this. I think many churches are willing for the lost to be found as long as it's found on our terms. But our love for the lost has to be greater than the status quo. It's not a problem of resources. It's not a problem of education. It's rather a problem of passion. So let's consider three motivations Uh, in order of importance of care. But before we get into that, I want to share with you guys that I grew up a preacher's kid. I grew up a youth minister's kid and a missionary's kid. It is amazing that I stand before you this morning normal. Well, it's amazing that I stand before you this morning alive, right? I mean, the fact that I had the trifecta going on is pretty incredible that my dad was all three. But that was the kind of man my dad was. He was the kind of man that in the mornings I would, I would joke around with him. I would, I would say, Dad, do you sleep with one leg out of the bed on the floor so that when your alarm clock hits, you can just go? I mean, do you, would you wake up just running? Because what happened was my dad would wake up in the morning around 4.30 or 5. He'd put on his running clothes. He'd get our dog, Champ, and they'd go run around the colony. They'd just run. And he'd run in different parts of the colony. And I remember asking my dad one time, I said, why are you running? One, because it made me tired just to think about it. I ran across the front yard a couple times. I was a chubby little kid. I'd run across the yard a couple times, and man, I'd be out of breath. To think about running miles around our city, I just thought, that's crazy. And he said, you know what I'm doing? I'm running. I'm, I'm getting in shape, but I'm praying for the city because I want the lost to come to know Jesus. Those that don't know him, I want him to come claim his name. After he'd run, he'd come back and he'd do some push-ups and crunches and sit-ups. And then he'd go sit in the backyard with his Bible and a cup of coffee, I don't know why, with our dog, and he'd be reading his scripture. You see, for my father, 
Faith was more than just something you talked about. Faith was starting the day with, Lord, here I am. Lord, what are you going to do today? Where are you going to send me? Where are you going to go? What word are you going to speak through me today? And I believe that's important for all of us to start thinking, Lord, what are you going to do through me today? But we've got to get ourselves ready. We've got to cultivate our hearts each morning. I remember where I was when the walls of Berlin came down, where I was when Russia put away communism. I was standing in uh, the living room. My mom remembers this. My mom's right here. My mom remembers this. We were standing in the living room, and my dad's almost jumping up and down with excitement as the newscasters are talking about that the, that the walls are coming down, and we're watching, we're just watching footage of it, and he's kind of jumping up, and he's almost jumping, just excited, and then he's on the phone, and he's saying, okay, how do we get in there? How do we take Bibles? How do we take medical supplies? How do we start helping the people of Russia? How do we go make a difference in this country that's never heard the name of Jesus? See, he wanted to take the name of Jesus to a place that had never praised his name. And I love that because it was almost six months later, he's taking Bibles and medical supplies and clothes, and he's setting up churches all over Russia and Ukraine. And one of the, one of the greatest experiences I got to go is I got to go on a short-term mission trip after my father had passed away and go and visit three of those churches and go and, and speak to people that knew my father and, and be able to do Bible studies and hand out Bibles on the street. And I got to watch the Lord work through our conversations and to see what he had already been at work doing there. And it, it just kind of clicked with me. It kind of resonated that, you know what? My faith has to go beyond the Sunday morning experience. It's not just going to church. It's not just wearing the right T-shirt where it's got Jesus on it. It's got to be lived out. My faith has to go deeper. It's got to, it's got to be something that motivates people and shows people who the Savior of the world is. Which leads me to the first one, missions motivation number three in your outline. The world needs Christ. Amen? The world needs a Savior. You've heard people say all roads are going the same direction. And I think sometimes we buy that lie because we're not as, not as concerned about are we on the right path? Because all roads don't go the same direction. That's why it's our task to share the good news to every single person in the world. And one of the cool things, I guess, for me was growing up, I watched my father, whether he was on an elevator or whether sometimes it was coming out of the men's bathroom, would be in a conversation with someone about Jesus. Or if they already knew Jesus, somehow he would work in, what do you think heaven's going to be like? Which always just was like, blew me away. Most churches, you know, we, we don't believe in universalism, the saved, all saved regardless, but some of churches in the world function that way because there's no sense of urgency of the gospel message. Mission work, I will tell you, is only relevant as long as the Christian faith is relevant. And the Christian faith affirms two implications that are very offensive to the world at large. The first implication is... Heaven and hell are real places, and real people go there. 
John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have what? Eternal life. See, heaven is the most beautiful truth that I know of, exceeding our highest longings and our best dreams. In fact, we had a Devo Sunday night, and I asked our teenagers, our high schoolers, I said, okay, if God put you in charge of designing heaven, what would it look like? How would you design it? And, you know, they all kind of talked, and they were thinking about it. Finally, one of our seniors, Meredith Hosick, said, you know, I would make it like nothing ever dreamed up or imagined here on earth. I want it to be something so great that it wasn't even fathomed or in, in my mind. And truly, like the, like the song says, that it was indescribable. And I love that. Because that's the kind of God that we serve. A God that is so great, that is so powerful, that's so good. And that's the way it will be for eternity with us. Well, in the same way, hell is more horrible than the human mind can imagine. Unfortunately, many people don't equate hell with the grace of God. But in reality, it is tied to God's mercy. For if there was no hell, the cross of Christ would have been a tragic mistake. And the sacrifice of Jesus would have been unnecessary. See, Jesus talked about hell about more than he did heaven. The Bible mentions hell 54 times. Jesus never used words like church shoppers. He never used words like seekers or the unchurched. Jesus used words lost. In fact, in John 3, 16, sometimes it's translated perish. See, if I had a cure for cancer, and I didn't tell my neighbors, I didn't tell my coworkers, you would look at me and say, that's immoral. You should be sharing that. And here we are. We have the cure for sin. We have the cure for a broken relationship with our Creator, with God. Shame on us if we don't share that. We have an obligation to share that good news because the answer that we know is Jesus Christ. And in the gospel, we'll discover that we are far worse off than we thought, but we are far more loved than we could have ever dreamed. Your second implication of this is Jesus is the only door to eternal life. Despite what Oprah thinks, Jesus is the only door to eternal life. Acts 4.12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Jesus would not have gone to the cross if there would have been another way. In fact, he prayed about it earnestly with sweat almost like drops of blood coming down because of the anguish. Do you think if his sacrifice wasn't necessary that he would have done it anyways? No. That's how much he loved us. That's how much it was necessary. The apostles would not have been martyred if there could have been another way. See, mission work gets to the heart of it, and we're convinced that the only one who can stand confidently before God is the one who stands redeemed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Your second mission's motivation today is the love of Christ in our hearts. 2 Corinthians 5, 14-16 says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. 
So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Our mission work, locally and globally, is a tribute to God who would go out for that one lost sheep, as he talked about in Luke chapter 15. That's the kind of God that we serve. You may say, Jesus, but you had 99. Isn't that enough? No. I've got this other one. He or she is worth it. Today, let God love you. Be reminded that God loves you. In fact, this may be, for some of you, this may be the most important thing you hear today, is that God loves you. In fact, some of us, it's easier for us to believe that we serve a God that died on the cross and was raised back to life than it is sometimes for us to believe that we serve a God that loves us. God loves you. Enough to not just die for you, not enough just to raise you, enough to live in you through his spirit. Enough to dwell among you. See, there is a story told about a diamond owner named Harry Winston. And he watched this man walk into a store. And he started talking to the salesperson about purchasing a diamond. And as the man started to walk away, Harry kind of stepped in and talked to the man and said, can I help you? And he kind of takes the diamond from the salesperson, and he starts talking about this diamond to this man. And as he's talking, he's caressing the diamond. And then he starts massaging the diamond. Well, in the end, the guy buys the diamond. And as he's checking out, he kind of realizes, Harry, why am I buying the diamond from you and not from the salesperson? Harry looks at the man and he says, you know, my salesperson, he's one of the best. He knows more about diamonds than almost anybody. But I love diamonds. See, there are some of us that know a lot about Jesus. A lot of us may love what we do for Jesus. We may love to sing to Jesus or love to study about Jesus. But when we love Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, His beauty becomes so powerful that you want Him to be known by others. It's not just about you. It's about Jesus and letting the beauty of Jesus being seen through you, being seen through me. See, we can tell whether or not a person has been captured by grace, by the way that person views people, the way they let God's love transform their love so that they may love others the way God loves them. Which leads me to our final motivation for the morning. Mission motivation number one, the glory of God. And see, the ultimate motivation is a concern that God will be glorified. And that's hopefully the motivation that we live by each day. And here's our job descriptions as Christians. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, So whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among the peoples. And that's Psalms 96, 2 and 3. Finally, John 15, 8 says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how do we show that we're his disciples? We bear fruit. How do we bear fruit? We show the love of God. In fact, you know, Coca-Cola has one of the most widely uh, known trademarks around the world. In fact, globally, they're kind of an icon. 
And they're so smart because when they started, they said, you know what? We need to hire a team of people that their whole job is to make sure that Coca-Cola, the name of Coca-Cola, is honored and praised around the world. That it's known around the world. In fact, when we took, we took all, all the missionaries we've been on, we've taken teenagers to Uganda and Santiago and, and Mexico and Honduras, and we've always found Cokes there. We've always enjoyed a nice Coca-Cola. In fact, a lot of times it tastes better there than it does here. Probably because we're working a lot harder and, and it's the comfort of home, right? But at the end of the trip, so many times, I ask them, well, what do you miss? What's something that you miss? What are you excited about getting to go back and experience at, you know, back home? And many times, and my wife included, Dr. Pepper. I just want a Dr. Pepper. Gina was that way. She wants a Dr. Pepper. You see, Dr. Pepper, that's not their mission. Coca-Cola's mission was to be known around the world and to be honored around the world. It's the function of missions to make sure people know the name of Jesus and that his name is honored around the world and that the world and the gospel message uh, and the word of God is proclaimed on every continent, every country, and every city. We're called to be lights in this dark world. In John 4, 34-35, Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four months more and then the harvest? But I tell you, open your eyes. Look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Well, if you back up in John 4, you have to start asking yourself, why did Jesus even engage with this woman? This woman that was so different than him spiritually, so different than him morally and ethnically was a crime for him to even talk to. Why? Because Jesus knew she was thirsty. She wanted a spiritual drink. And Jesus was hungry, hungry to do the will of the Father. I pray that this morning we become hungry, that our natural response to those who, who are hungry to see God receive glory all over the earth, that by sharing the knowledge of God with someone will be the design for him to receive glory. The fields are ripe unto the harvest. Are we hungry? Do we want to see people come to know their Lord and Savior? The central thrust of everything this morning I'm trying to share with you is Jesus envisions this church, he envisions Preston Crest to be a missional church. One that is a light right here in our community in Dallas, but doesn't stop there, that will go to the ends of the world to make sure that the name of God receives glory. That the world knows who their Savior is. That's what we're called to be, church. This morning and tonight, we're going to have an opportunity to see the booths uh, of where we go all around the world, where we're preaching the name of Jesus. And my prayer is that you start thinking about, how do I get involved in the mission work here? We have groups this, this summer that are going to Ghana, Guatemala, Hungary, New Orleans, and Dallas. We have a group right now that is putting together trips into West uh, to, to, to serve the people there. Find out how you can get involved. Right now, it may just be that you're going to pray. You're going to pray for those mission fields. You're going to pray for the people there. And then 
Maybe next year you're going to get involved. Maybe you're going to go and be financially supporting people to go. Or maybe it's that you're going to actually go and experience and see that the Lord is good. But find out how you can help. We have the opportunity today. We all have this challenge. John Scott, you said we're at 730. Is that right? We have a thousand sins is the challenge. So we're almost there. And my prayer is that we blow that out of the water and that we go and we support our missionaries and we tell them how much we love them. We tell them how much we support them, that they are in our prayers. And that if we received one of the little mats this morning in our children's church, that as families, that we will lift these missionary families and these mission fields up in prayer this year. Let's just don't let it go by. Let's take the opportunity to be missional. And then let's allow that to change us in our daily conversations so that we may be lights right here in our community in Dallas. See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So we need to be showing people their Savior. The world needs a Savior. They're going to look at us and say, is he real? And they're going to determine that by what we say and what we do. Let's change Dallas for God's kingdom.